0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Heritage, midweek, how's it going? Man, it's super good to be back with you guys. I wasn't here last week, um, so this is my first week back as a Wednesday nights. But man, super, super fun to be with you guys. You got a full house. Um, thank you guys for coming out. Thanks for being here. Hey, we're in a brand new series. Uh, This is the second week of it called Live Like Jesus. Uh, And just a little bit of uh, background as to why we're doing this series. Uh, We basically believe uh, that all of our, we've staked all of our lives, all of our being, all of our hope as believers in this man, Jesus Christ. Uh, He was not just a man. He was the God man. He was God incarnate in man. And we believe he was the perfect man. He was perfect in every way and everything that he did. We believe as Christians that he is the one that we look to, look up to, follow, and become like. Uh, it says in the, uh, the, the, the epistle of John, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Like who? Like Jesus. Okay, so the whole point of this series is that as Christians, to grow as Christians is to become more like Jesus. So we're going to spend the whole next season every Wednesday night, if you guys continue to join us, diving into the different things that made Jesus Jesus. Because we want to ultimately, as Christians, become like Him. And so last week we looked at how to disciple like Jesus and Jeremy did a, a fantastic job. I went back and listened to that um, on the podcast and tonight we're going to actually learn about how to teach like Jesus. So are you guys ready for that? Are you excited? Okay, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get in, into the word. I'm going to invite you guys to pray for me really quick because uh, I need it. So if you could take 10 seconds, pray uh, f- for me and then pray for your own heart to receive the word uh, and then I'll pray and we'll get, we'll get going. Father, I thank you so much that we get to learn about you tonight, that Jesus, we we get to hear about your life. This isn't about my thoughts or my ideas, Lord, this is about um, beholding you, looking at you, reminding ourselves of of all that you were, Christ, and how you walked, and how you lived, and, and how you talked, and tonight, Lord, as we... Ask the question, how did you teach? And how can we teach like you taught? Uh, Lord, what a humbling question to ask. Because God, we know that we can't teach like you. Because we're not God. We're fallen humans with, with fallen perspectives, Lord. But we want to learn how you taught so that we can see how marvelous you were. Lord, we, we want to learn to be like you in the way that we communicate the gospel, in the way that we love people around us, in the way that we instruct people around us in the word. So Holy Spirit, we need your help tonight to discern these things. Our, our minds are fallen. But our hearts are made new, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us in all wisdom and all truth tonight for your glory, Christ. We want to see you glorified in the preaching of the word tonight. We want our hearts to be bowed before you by the preaching of your word. We want repentance, God. We want you to be made much of by the glory that is seen in the word. And we pray for that tonight. Bring power in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, turn to your neighbor really quickly and tell that person that you are a teacher. Okay, now turn to your other neighbor and tell the other person you are a teacher too. We are all teachers. The first thing I thought when I heard... um, Tonight's assignment for me to teach on uh, how to teach like Jesus, which I I feel completely underqualified to do. Um, But the first thing I thought is, you know, everyone's going to think, "Oh, that's just for pastors, right?" So only only pastors or people that preach or teach Bible colleges; those are the ones that need to think about how to teach like Jesus. I just want to start off right out of the gate by saying that's not true. Okay, all of us are teachers. The other day I was sitting, uh, or I was actually in the kitchen. And my kids, I have uh, three kids. Uh, my oldest is a three-year-old. Um, she's like a 26-year-old, three-year-old, if you know what I mean. Like, she just sounds like a little adult, and she's the oldest. Um, and then I have a two-year-old boy, and uh, and then I have a, a newborn, scouty. Um, so my, my three-year-old, who's the oldest, she is... Uh, She's sitting there, my two-year-old's sitting there, and they want breakfast. And so my two-year-old's screaming at me because he wants breakfast or he wants water or something. That's just how he gets my attention. We're working on it. You know, he's two. Um, you've heard that expression, terrible, too. So he's screaming at me, Dad, I want water, I want it now, right? And here's sister, here's Mila, three years old, uh, and she says, Justice Man. She calls him Justice Man. Um, justice Man, she says, say please, <laughs> like that. And my, and my parental instincts kick in, and I'm on Mila. Don't be bossy, right? Don't be—don't be the older sibling stereotype that everyone expects you to be. Uh, She—I can't believe she said this. She goes, "I'm not bossy. I'm a teacher." <laughs> I'm like, what do I say to that? I mean, how do—where do I go from there? I can't—I can't say I'm like, okay, you're right. I stand corrected. And she's so right. My three-year-old daughter is a teacher. She has influence over her little brother. Her little brother, who's one year younger, follows her everywhere. He does everything she does. If she yells, he yells. If she asks for something, he asks for something. He looks up to her immensely. And she has a level of influence over his worldview that's actually somewhat terrifying because she will teach him things that he probably doesn't need to know and will teach him things wrong, right? Um, But that's just the reality. So all of us, every human being in here has a level of influence. Everyone is a teacher. Everyone is a communicator. And listen, every one of you is shaping someone's worldview. Every one of you, whether you know it or not, is responsible for shaping how someone thinks about the world, how someone thinks about god that 's important to understand right out of the gates now, as believers, we all have the command we all have a responsibility to teach one another okay it 's not just the pastor 's job it 's not just the, the the bible teacher or the the, the scholarly um, Teacher's job to preach the word. It's actually everyone's. Uh, Paul commissions Timothy of this in Second Timothy four two. He says, "Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching." So we're all commanded to teach. In First Peter two nine, the Apostle Peter says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies again, that you may proclaim." The excellencies of God, of the one who has called you out of darkness and who is marvelous light. What Peter is unpacking there is the reality that as Christians in the new covenant, we are a kingdom of priests. That means that no longer do we need to look only to professionals or to the Levites to the tribe of Levi to minister to us. Because Jesus came, now as the church, we are all ministers of one another. We are all priests. We are a kingdom of priests, and as such, are required and called to preach to one another, to preach to our kids, to teach our spouses, to teach our friends, to teach our siblings continually and constantly, in season and out of season. Amen? Okay, got that out of the way. So, if we can agree on the fact that we're all called to teach— who better to, to resource and to observe than the greatest teacher who ever lived? You say, Sam, that's a bit dramatic. You're just saying that because you're a Christian. Was he really the greatest teacher who ever lived? Well, let's think about it. Jesus in, in, in the gospels drew massive crowds, if you want to gauge it that way. Okay, if you want to base it off of of his ability to pull crowds, Jesus pulled people in the thousands. Okay, and he didn't have a pedigree. He didn't have a a degree from some specific place. Okay, he was a poor carpenter from the middle of nowhere. Okay, he was from Hornbrook, California. You guys ever been to Hornbrook, California? That's where Jesus was from, and he would come and preach. He wasn't really from there, guys. Come on. Okay, you know better than that. Okay. He was from a place like Hornbrook, California. He would come out to preach and thousands would come. Okay, so you've got to be a pretty good communicator to draw a crowd like that. Okay, that's just a reality. In Matthew 7:28. the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They saw him teach and they were baffled that this carpenter, this poor nobody could preach and teach and communicate in such a powerful way. Jesus' Jesus's teachings were so radical and tr- so transformative to the culture around him that it ultimately led to him being murdered. Why? Because he drew such crowds and brought such transformation culturally that not only did the religious leaders hate him, but the Roman government it's, itself hated him. He was such a, a, a problem because his teaching was so influential that literally the Roman Empire saw him as an issue. The religious elite also saw him as an issue that 's how good of a teacher he was in mark 1118 it says the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking, heard what they heard what was happening through his teaching and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. What were they astonished at? They were astonished at his teaching. This man from Nazareth, this rabbi from Nazareth, is, is bringing these crowds. He's going to cause a rebellion against Rome. We have to squelch this, we have to stop this. It also says in Mark 12 37 that the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. He was a joy to listen to. He was, he was a teacher that people actually could just, just, just enjoy sitting for hours and hearing. They would travel miles to go and hear him speak. Christians throughout history have viewed Jesus as the teacher to end all teachers. In the early church, Father Ignatius in the first century, he said this. He said he referred to Jesus as our only teacher. Clement of Alexandria in the second century, he called Jesus our tutor. In in the 1800s, B.A. Hinsdale, he wrote this. He said, Jesus was the greatest of the greatest oral teachers. Okay, now those are all Christians, you might say. Okay, well, here's a guy who was a secular educator, a man named E.L. Kemp. We have a slide for this one. He wrote this about Jesus. Again, non-Christian said this. He said, measured by the nature of the lessons he taught, by his method of presenting them, by the number of persons who they've reached, and by the result that they have accomplished, he, Jesus, was the greatest teacher of all teachers. Okay, non-Christian. Can observe and see that by the sheer outcome of the ministry of Jesus and his teachings, that is the number one selling book in the world, by the way, billions of converts later, was the greatest teacher that ever lived. Can we agree on that? Okay. What made him a great teacher? That's what we're going to spend our time on tonight. If we can agree that we are all teachers, if we can agree that Jesus is the one that we should learn from, then we want to spend our time thinking about what it was that made Jesus a great teacher. We're going to look at two overarching things. The first overarching thing we're going to look at is what Jesus taught. What Jesus taught. The second thing we're going to look at, and we'll get there, is how Jesus taught. Okay? So that's it. Real simple. What Jesus taught, how Jesus taught. And why does it matter what Jesus taught? It matters because how we teach is always secondary to what we teach. How we teach is always secondary to what we teach. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest communicator on earth. If your preaching is false, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Why? Because language is only as good as the reality it is meant to communicate. Language is, is just words. It's just noise. Language is meant to represent truth. And if a language f- represents a false truth, then that language is pointless. What made Jesus a powerful communicator was not primarily his method, although his method was powerful, and we will talk about it. What made Jesus a powerful communicator was what he said. It was what he said, not how he said it. It was what He said the power was in what he delivered, not in how he delivered it. So what was it about what Jesus said? What was it about what he said that was so groundbreaking, that caused the Sanhedrin to see him put to death? Well, the the first thing is that Jesus didn't teach theories, and he didn't teach philosophies. He taught reality. Jesus didn't teach theories. He didn't teach philosophies. He taught reality. He preached from this unique point as the author of all creation. You see, all other teachers that we experience uh, are, are teaching from a ground-up perspective, okay? What that means is that you stand on the ground with limited perspective, and you teach based off of what you see. So people like Aristotle, people like Plato, these were philosophizers. These people made assumptions about the way that creation and the earth and the world are based off of what they could see, based off of what they could understand. Evolution. Okay, is a theory based off of what Darwin could see from a ground-level perspective. These are theories, philosophizing. Jesus spoke from a unique perspective because he is, listen, the author of creation. He spoke from the perspective and the authority of the one who created the thing that he spoke of. No one could ever speak like that. No one could ever teach like Jesus because no one has all wisdom in the universe. Jesus was God incarnate, the creator of the universe in a human body with vocal cords that could communicate eternal truth. It's phenomenal. He preached with authority. Luke 4.31, we have a slide. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Okay, so he's teaching, right? And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For his word possessed authority. When Jesus would stand up to preach, he wasn't doing what what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm pulling on his authority. I'm pulling on the authority of the scriptures, which you guys all have put your, hopefully put your trust and hope and faith in. Jesus got up and said, no, I am the authority. He didn't quote other rabbis like rabbis did. He didn't get up and quote the leading scholar at the time to somehow scrape together credibility so people would listen to him. He just stood up and spoke it as though he was the source of the truth because he was. He was the source of the truth. He preached with absolute authority. And listen, Jesus didn't preach the ideals of the natural world Okay. He didn't preach the ideas of the natural world. He proclaimed the realities of the supernatural world. He didn't come preaching the ideas of the natural world. He came proclaiming the realities of the supernatural world. If you were to ask someone, hey, what do you think the primary thing that Jesus preached about was? The common answers would probably be, oh, well, he talked a lot about love. He talked a lot about good works talked a lot about those types of things. And and did he? Yes. Yeah, he did. He talked a lot about the cross that was to come. But you know what the number one thing Jesus preached about the most was? It wasn't an idea. It wasn't a feeling. It wasn't a a theory. It wasn't an event. It was a thing. It was a, a very specific thing called the kingdom of God. It was a place. That's what Jesus preaches. You start reading through the Gospels looking for how many times he says the word kingdom, you'll be blown away. It is the heartbeat of the Gospels. He preached on the kingdom. Why did he preach on the kingdom? Because Jesus didn't come to teach about this world so much as he did to come proclaiming the reality of another world. He came and primarily, his primary objective as a a teacher was to communicate to his audience another world place, a place that was completely foreign to his audience. He was, if, if you will, he was a terrestrial being who through his teaching was literally peeling back the curtain for them to see into another world. You ever wonder why Jesus's teachings co- are, are a little confusing? It's not because he's a bad communicator. You ever wonder why he preached and people would hear it and then walk away uh, upset or offended? It's because he was literally preaching about another world. Another world that they could not understand. That was ultimately Jesus' primary focus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it was hard. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 4 verse 30. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? In other words, he's saying, how do I describe to you guys what this world that I'm from is like? The heavens, the kingdom of God. Well, how do I describe it to you? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? How? How do I describe to you, how do I describe to you a place that you, you've never been? That'd be like if I came from another planet and I said, oh, there's colors there that you guys have never seen. How do I explain those colors to you? How do I explain the realities there if you have nothing, no point of reference to understand those? Uh, Maybe a bad analogy, but maybe a helpful analogy. I went to Israel a few years ago here with Heritage and... Um, it was this incredible two weeks, you know, and, and I took all these pictures because my wife, she's my best friend, and I just couldn't wait to get home and tell her all about these fun things that we did and show her these pictures. And so one of the coolest places was where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and there are these massive cliffs, and you're just like standing on them, you just feel small, you know, and behind you is the Dead Sea, and it's just desert, and it's just amazing. So I'm like taking a picture, I even took a panorama picture, you know, the one you have to like hold real steady. It tells you to slow down. I took one of those. Um, and, and then, you know, after the trip was over, I, I come home and i like, oh, Randy, I got to show you these pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, here's the best one. <laughs> here's where they found the Dead Sea Scroll. Oh, that looks really lame. It looked like a bump. It looked like a hill. Like literally the picture just made it look so lame. And I was like, no, babe, I swear it was really cool. You know, um, same thing happened this summer. I went backpacking and we just saw some spectacular stuff and I took pictures of it. And then I come home and I try to show the pictures. And I'm like, ah, it just doesn't look very good. Jesus is saying, what shall we say? The kingdom, how, what parable can describe the kingdom of God? What parable can describe this other world? How can we possibly unpack it with language? The reason that everyone had a problem with what Jesus said at some point, and they may not have at first, but at some point, is not only because he was from another world, but also because the world that we live in is at war with the world that he lives in. The Bible is very clear that this world, the natural world, if I can call it that, the natural world is in a fallen Broken, sinful state. And the world that Christ is from, the kingdom of heaven, is in a perfect state. No sin, no death, no brokenness, no, n- nothing but God's holiness. Christ steps out of the holiness of his world, puts on flesh, and steps into the brokenness of our world. And begins to communicate about this world that has been and is and is going to come. And they kill him for it. Why? Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this It says, Men by their unrighteousness have suppressed the truth. Okay, let me say this this world that we live in, guys, this is not reality. Now, now, you may watch a reality TV show that's full of, of adultery and full of, of murder and full of disgusting things, and, and someone say, why do you watch that garbage? And you might respond and say, oh, it's just real life. Uh, no, it's not. The Bachelor, it's not real life. It's garbage. Okay, a dude sleeping with multiple women to see who's going to marry, that is not reality. That is a sinful, broken, twisted world. I'm sorry if you love that show. Um, that is a sinful, broken, and twisted reality that man has taken and broken. In God's reality, there is no adultery. In God's reality, there is no sin. You ever wonder why Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount preached so severely? And everybody always says, oh, man, the Old Testament's harsh, but Jesus was a lot easier. Like, well, then you didn't read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Jesus took the law and raised the bar. He's like, no, 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 it's not just don't, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. It's like if you even look at her, you're an adulterer. No, 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 it's not just if you kill your brother. If you even hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. What was Jesus doing? He was raising the bar so that people could see the reality of the kingdom of God. Because in his kingdom, there is none of that garbage. That's reality. This isn't reality. This is brokenness. This is pain. This is suffering that has come as a result of Adam's sin and the curse of man in this world. This is the result of God removing himself from this world and letting man have what he wanted. Look at 124 in Romans. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts and impurities. What did God do? He said, you want the alternate reality? There you go. Take it. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts and impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged, listen to this, guys, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So Jesus, this heavenly being, God himself, steps into a broken body, into a world that is living in this, a twisted reality that they have chosen. It says in the first verse, in 118, that men by their unrighteousness have suppressed the truth. Do you know what that implies? It means in order to suppress the truth, that you have the truth. Because you can't suppress something that you don't have. It goes on in Romans, it talks about how every man is without excuse because God, it's obvious that there's a God. Through looking at the heavens, there is a God. God. So this kingdom that Jesus came and proclaimed has been stuffed down by generation after generation of men that have chosen to worship creation rather than creator. They've chosen to live within the narrative of this twisted world rather than the pure and holy and good narrative of God's world. And what you have when Jesus steps into the scene is you have oil and you have water. The two are not meshing. Jesus is preaching and they're not hearing it. Jesus is good. And they are not. Jesus is bringing good news of the kingdom. And they killed him. They murder him. They had malice in their heart from the first time they saw him draw a crowd. The Sanhedrin wanted him dead. Because they wanted to suppress the truth. And he was the truth. He was the truth. We're going to watch a quick video that I think illustrates this and will kind of help you understand this a little bit more more clearly. So if you guys will take 6 minutes and watch this and we'll continue on. We could bring the lights down.
1: So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us.
2: So these are two very different types of spaces.
1: Yes, they're they're different in their nature. But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space.
2: So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping we don't talk a lot about that
1: which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about how they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again
2: so let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping.
1: Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on.
2: But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world
1: which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results.
2: So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird.
1: to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Is that cool or what? <laughs>
0: the first time I watched that, I just watched it again. Because <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. i we we bring the lights back up, guys. Um, that's, that's essentially what's happening here when Jesus is preaching, okay? He, he is bringing kingdom. He is bringing heaven into this earth, into this natural world. And in so many ways, they're not ready for it. But the full story of God we see in the scriptures, again, ends in Jesus coming back and uniting heaven and earth again. It's such a cool thing. But not only did Jesus proclaim the kingdom of God, Not only did he proclaim and teach heaven, he also taught how to get into that kingdom, okay? He also taught how to get into that kingdom. I remember having an argument when I was a very new believer. I was like 18 years old and uh, very zealous and foolish, and um, I still am, but... um, i remember having an argument with my one of my friend's moms who was not a believer and we were talking about the world and why is the world so broken and why is there so much pain and why is there so much suffering and etc and i remember telling her you know if everyone would just obey the bible everything would be better and i argued this point with her and you know what i was totally wrong (laughs) it's not true there is no restoration, there is no bringing together heaven and earth and the fallenness and brokenness of this world in uh, the, the righteousness of holiness of, of Jesus' world. There's no bringing the two of those together simply by obedience or simply by good works. This world is too broken. At the very root, at the very core of our existence, it is broken. What I should have argued with my friend's mom is, in order for the world to be fixed, we must all be reborn. We must all be changed from the very core of who who we are as humans. The very core of our existence as human beings must be put to death and reborn as a new creation. So Jesus didn't just come preaching a new kingdom. He didn't just come preaching the reality of heaven. He came preaching the way into that new reality, the way into that new kingdom. And the way into that new kingdom was to be reborn by the atonement that was purchased by him on the cross. That was what he preached. You cannot become a citizen of this new world by trying, only by dying. It's the only way. It's the only way. There's this amazing example, if you guys will turn in your Bibles to the book of John, uh, chapter three, verse one. There's this amazing example of Jesus being a teacher. And he's talking about this very idea that in order to become a citizen of heaven, in order to become part of the kingdom, you must be reborn. Uh, This man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He was a Sanhedrin, uh, which meant he was uh, ultimately one of the highest ruling authorities in the Jewish religion. So he would have been in charge of the temple and all of these things and been one of the the teachers of the Jewish people. He comes to Jesus in chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. We know that you're from God. Okay, which is interesting that that he would say that because he's already plotting to kill him. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus is doing in the streets of Jerusalem and, and all throughout Israel. And he's saying, well, this must be from God because this man carries with him the power of God. And Jesus answers him. This is where Jesus steps into this role as teacher here with this man. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see what? The kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the only way that you will get to be in this other kingdom is if you die and are reborn. Now, that's really familiar language to us. We hear the, the word born again evangelicals, born again Christians. We've heard that a lot. To Nicodemus, this would have been, pff, what are you talking about, Jesus? Born Again, look at his response. It's completely random to him. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? And we look at that and say, oh, Nicodemus, he's talking. No, think about it. He's confused, understandably. How can a man be born again when he's old? What's happening here is that Jesus is bringing kingdom thinking. Jesus is bringing the reality of heaven, and Nicodemus is stuck in the natural world, and he's so confused. What are you talking about, born again? How can he be born again? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. Okay, referring to the natural world and the supernatural world. Unless he's born of a mother and then born again of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. Don't 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 trip out on that, Nicodemus. It's not weird. It's only weird cuz you're stuck in this broken world and, and you don't understand spiritual things. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus, still confused, okay. He said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, this is kind of a dig. Are you, are you not the teacher of Israel? Dude, aren't you like the Pope? (laughs) Aren't you like responsible for like teaching all the people that believe in your religion? And you don't get this? Like, don't you a master of the old Testament? Because see, Jesus knew what was concealed. Maybe for them at this time, Jesus knew in the old Testament, he saw it clear that, that what he was about to say was already in the old Testament. He's like, how do you not get this Nicodemus? Are you the teacher of Israel yet? You do not understand these things. Truly, truly. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is being very patient here, and he's explaining again, and he's explaining again, because that's what good teachers do. But Jesus knows the reality that he is talking to a brick wall. You know why? Because Nicodemus has not been born again. Nicodemus is born of this world, not born of the Spirit. And unless he is born of the Spirit, he cannot understand spiritual things. This is called Christian regeneration. This is core to what we believe. That when we get saved, not only are our sins paid for, but we are born again as new creations, as new citizens of a new kingdom. And now we live out of our new hearts that have the law written on those hearts. And we don't just have to do what God wants. We want to do what God wants. We don't just have to do holiness and holy things. We want to do holy things because we are reborn. Jesus' message as a teacher was to proclaim the kingdom and to proclaim how to get into the kingdom. Everybody got that? To proclaim the kingdom and to proclaim how to get into the kingdom. So what should your message be if you want to teach like Jesus? Proclaim the kingdom and proclaim how to get into the kingdom. We should teach the same thing that Jesus taught. Okay, so so three three things really quick here uh, about how we can learn from what Jesus taught. The first thing that this means for us is it means patiently drawing people to face the reality of the kingdom. Okay, so what we do with our with our non-Christian friends and coworkers and family and kids, uh, with our Christian friends and families and coworkers, we just hold the kingdom in front of them and say, "Look, this is reality. This thing you're living in is not." The, the brokenness that you're feeling right now is because you're living in a false reality that is not eternal and jesus is inviting you to live in his reality and into into the kingdom of god where where sin and brokenness will be put away forever you just hold it in front of people and you say this is the truth come to it you preach it with your word and you live it with your life one thing I loved on that video is it said that Jesus didn't he didn't stay in that clean space. He moved around. Every time he healed, he healed because in God's kingdom there's no sickness, and every time he cast out a demon, it's because in God's kingdom there's no demons. And our job as the church is to do the same thing. It is to go into this world and live kingdom culture. It is to go into this world and display what heaven will look like by loving each other, by bearing with each other's transgressions, by being in community with one another, by loving the unlovable. Jesus steps out into the street when a woman is stripped naked and accused of adultery. He inserts himself into a situation that most of us would have run the other way. And in doing so, he modeled for a moment what the kingdom of God will be like. He gave her an opportunity to see what the kingdom of God will look like where there's no judgment, there's no sin, there's no brokenness. That's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he brought kingdom with him. And that's our job too. That's what we do as teachers with our kids. We don't accept that the world that they live in is reality. And we don't shelter them from it. But we give them the better reality, right? This is garbage, son. This is garbage. Daughter, can I show you something better? And can I tell you why it's better? Jesus taught with his actions as well. This means being okay with sounding radical. Okay? Teaching like Jesus means you've got to be okay with sounding radical. You got to be okay with sounding kind of strange because this kingdom reality that we bring to people's attention, it sounds weird. (laughs) Okay? We believe in a book that says that God breathed creation in seven days, and then a snake talked, and then the whole world sucks now, and then, sorry for using that word, uh, whatever. It, it's, it's, this is, the, this is the, the, the Bible that we preach. There's a boat that a guy got in with his family and some animals, and then the whole world got flooded. Uh, I mean, this is the story of the Bible. Okay, so if if we're not comfortable with preaching Things that sound a little weird will never preach like Jesus. But you have to remember that even though it sounds weird, it sounds weird because the world has suppressed the truth. And you preach reality. It's scandalizing, but you preach reality. Romans 1.16, we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. It might seem weird, but it's power. There's power in it. It means, guys, being okay with people not getting it at first. You know, Jesus communicated this kingdom things in his teachings, and people didn't always get it at first. They were confused. That's okay, because years down the road, they did. So you might be pouring out truth to your kids, pouring out kingdom reality to your kids, and and they're throwing it in your face, or your coworker, and they're throwing it in your face, but the reality is that someday it's gonna click. By God's grace, they will come around and go, oh, I realize now, the disciples at one point realized some of the things that Jesus was talking about. (laughs) That's what he meant. So that's the what of what Jesus taught, okay? What Jesus taught. Jesus taught the kingdom of God. Now, how did Jesus teach? I just got a few minutes left. I'm gonna talk about a few practical things we can take from how Jesus preached. Uh, the first thing is simply this. Jesus, when he preached, and when Jesus taught, he met his audience where they were. He met them where they were, okay? He started where his listeners were interested in. He, he met them in the areas that they were interested in. Do you think Jesus wanted to start talking about uh, taxes, and rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's? Jesus took the things that interested those people in his day and contextually took them and, and, and talked about them, leading them to something better. That's what good teachers do. You find what your students are interested in and you start there and then you move forward. So for the next 10 years at Heritage, uh, every sermon is going to be on revelation and sex. Because that is the highest downloaded thing on sermons. That was a joke, by the way. But seriously, in church, if you do sermon series on marriage and sex and revelation, for whatever, the book of Revelation, everybody comes. So we're going to teach that. No, we're not going to teach that. Just kidding. Jesus did that. He took things that were interesting to them, and he started there. Then he led them away from that. There's a really interesting uh, thing about our minds. It's called a reticular activating system. What the reticular activating system is, it basically, um, it basically is a filter in our minds. Okay, Now, you guys know in, in life, uh, we are subjected to so many things, so many sounds, so many voices, so many uh, apps, so many flashing things, and, and our brains do not have the capacity to register all those things every second. Mike is a brain surgeon. He probably is like, what are you talking about right now? So, But anyways, uh, it's a filter, that filters that thing out, but there's things that it lets through, okay? There's things that it lets through, and the things that it lets through are three things primarily. It lets through things that you value. So if somebody starts talking about something I'm interested in, my mind pff, is going to focus on it. It focuses on things that are unique or new, okay? Something that's, oh, that's a strange thing. That's, I've never smelled that smell before. I should probably think about that. Or thirdly, things that threaten you. Okay, now it's amazing. Jesus, the masterful communicator, knew that. He knew that the three things that would tune people's ears in were things that were new to them, things that interested them, or things that threatened them. And Jesus used all three of those things to communicate the truth. He used things that were unique by saying outlandish statements like, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Or can a camel fit through the eye of a needle? This hyperbole, sort of this extreme language. He used that to grab his audience's attention, his brilliant communication. He used things that they valued, right? Uh, The good news of the gospel was valuable to them, bringing hope to the broken. Uh, He he used things that were valuable to them like money, like work, uh, like government, like fishing, like farming. Things that they would have done every day. Things that would have perked their interest when he taught. He used things that were threatening in a sense that he preached with urgency that the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus is a master communicator. But most importantly, he came down to where they were at. Jesus could have sat up on a grandstand as the Son of God and preached, distant from mankind. But that's not how Jesus taught. Okay, and we'll end on this. This is is not how Jesus taught. Jesus... In the very act of being incarnate, showed that he was the ultimate communicator. And let me let me see what I mean by that. God the Father, to communicate to us, was willing to put his Son into flesh so that we could relate with him. What a good teacher does is he gets down on his knees with a toddler and he says, "Let me see from your perspective." Let me get down from from my view and let me get down into your view so I can relate to you. And that's how Jesus taught. He taught and he was relatable in every way. The fact that he became a man meant that he was a good communicator because by becoming a communicator, he could relate with other humans. What a fantastic teacher he was. He asked the right questions. Can I encourage you guys in that? Ask questions. Questions. One good question is worth 100 bullet points. The right question at the right time can access more in someone's heart than 20 sermons or 20 lectures, especially with your kids. The right question. Jesus asked all kinds of questions. In fact, he asked like 167, something right around that number, about 167 questions he asked. His teachings were fluid with questions, but he didn't just only ask general questions, which he did. He also asked specific questions. He asked questions like, Who do they say that I am? General question. Well, this, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this, some say you're that. Okay. Well, who do you say that I am? Kind of leans in. He says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, Christ, Messiah, Son of the Living God. Right? Jesus asks Peter again, do you love me, Peter? Personal question. He doesn't launch into a sermon uh, uh, about how if you love God, then you feed his sheep and yada yada and break down all the different words for love. He doesn't do that. He just says, Peter, hey, do you love me? Oh yeah, Lord, I love you. Okay, Peter, do you love He asks him three times. The right question accesses so much in people's heart. One of my favorite questions Jesus asks is uh, when the masses had just left because he was teaching about eating his body. (laughs) That was a little too much for them, apparently. Um, The masses left, and he leans into the disciples, and he says, hey, are you guys gonna leave too? And Peter again, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He asks a question, and by asking the question, he accesses what's really in the heart of his students. It's an incredible skill. We would do well to speak less, and listen more and ask questions that draw our students into personal reflection it does no good listen to this it does no good to insert knowledge into a heart that is not right we must first address the heart and in order to address the heart in order to address the heart we must first see its true contents jesus asked the right questions so that he could see into the heart of that man and address it perfect example the rich young ruler Go sell everything you have. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. It exposed the heart contents of that student immediately. And lastly, Jesus knew his audience. He knew his audience. Jesus didn't teach the same way to every person. To the poor and to the broken, he preached the riches of God's kingdom. To the sinners, he preached forgiveness through repentance. To the religious, he preached harshly against their self-reliance. To the apostles, he preached with great specificity. He preached about stewardship and his most important theological truths that he wanted them to to teach. Jesus preached with compassion and he was not the man on the street corner shouting the same phrase to every car that went by. He spoke truth into people individually in specific ways and he took the time to hear them and to love them. to preach to them in a way that showed that and reflected that. So what is our calling as little Christs, as Christians, as little Christ trying to be like Jesus, trying to teach like Jesus? It's just simply this. Bring the kingdom of God to bear. Bring the kingdom of God to bear in people's minds, in people's lives. Tell them the way into the kingdom, that they may be reborn By the good news of the gospel. Bear with them patiently. Teaching takes time, it takes effort. Amen. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I I thank you so much that we have the ultimate example, that we don't have to, to wonder what it is to be perfect, because Jesus, you were. I thank you that we don't have to to bumble around trusting and trying to copy people that are fallen and broken because we have you, Christ, the perfect example. And Jesus, we want to live in the reality of your kingdom. We want to put away the twisted and false ideals of this world and have our mind transformed by the renewing that the word brings. We want our thoughts to be your thoughts. And God, we want your kingdom to come here as it is in heaven. We want it to come through us. We want it to come through the the teaching uh, of others, to come through the good works of this church, to come through the love that we have for each other and for the community. We want your kingdom to be seen. We long for the day when you will be on the throne of this world. But for now, help us, Jesus. Help us to do as you did to bring heaven to Medford, and every conversation may it be seasoned with salt, and every relationship may they see your goodness in us. Lord, we just love you, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. You guys, next week we're going to look at how to pray like Jesus. It's going to be a great, great teaching. So come on out.